another of these daily drives. Just going through town, seeing what we see, and uh, seeing who we can run into and talk to. This has become my new routine. At a different time every day, I grab my field recorder, get in my car, and I drive around town. If I run into someone who might have something interesting to say, I stick my microphone out the window and I talk to them. That's gotten a little harder to do each day since North Carolina declared a state of emergency. Every day there are less and less people on the sidewalks, less and less businesses open, less cars on the street. I'm Jonathan Ammons. You're listening to Home Fried from The Dirty Spoon. Stories to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm on my way to Eater Rhine Distilling because I hear that in addition to selling their fantastic Amaro and Fernet curbside, they've started handing out free sanitizer that they are distilling on site. How's it going? Good. Mind if I talk to you for the radio? Brett's back here. Oh, yeah? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Owner and distiller, Rhett Murphy. Uh, mostly what we're doing is giving away free for the community uh, hand sanitizer that we've been able to make here at the distillery. Yeah? How are you making it? We're able to make it here because we use a lot of ethanol here. And so we um, are just making a mixture of, um, uh, right now it's 70% ethanol and water and some moisturizers and a couple of other ingredients just to make it nice and legal. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, I mean, most people can't just use a vodka as a... No, you cannot. You could, um, you know, it has to get after being mixed down to minimum of 60% alcohol. That's 120 proof. And we're staying above 65 and now making it at 70%, so 140 proof, just to be extra sure. Um... So it's even the Everclear that you can get around here. You can't mix much water with it to um, turn it into sand. Or uh, an emollient or anything that would moisturize. Um, You would get below the the 65%. All right. Well, thanks for the public service, yo. Yes. And it's all legal now. Um, So the FDA and the TTB have um, waived the regulations discerning uh, distilleries not making non-beverage alcohol. And um, so we, we didn't have a permit to do this, but um, now now they're sort of looking, they're saying it's legal for us to do it because the need Now is, you don't need a permit. Yes, now we don't need a permit. Awesome, um, that's great. And yeah, every Monday and Wednesday we'll be here two to six unless something changes and they tell us we can't be. Um, we're also selling bottles and gift cards and we've got some our um, really great Amari here and we've got some great vermouth and wine and vodka and um, some other stuff and we're selling gift cards if the if folks are not inclined to imbibe at the moment. Restaurants and breweries are still doing curbside service and takeout like Eater Ride. But other than that, the city has become a ghost town. Making the loop around downtown, I run into Jason Landers, one of the powers that be at Strada Italiano, a local Italian joint. What's up, Jonathan? Oh, driving around making the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour updates on how things are happening downtown. <laughs> how are you guys doing? Well, we've been 
depend on some takeout, but you know, that's yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. And that, not, not a ton of that, but some. When did you shut it down when they made the mandate? We, we actually did it a couple days before because we kind of saw the writing on the wall and we didn't want to seem like the greedy ones trying to stay open. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. For sure. So so we uh, we just went ahead and Anthony made the call to go ahead and go to takeout only um, Monday. We did that. So, okay. How's that been going? How's what? How's that been going? Well, we're getting some business, not not nearly as much as we would like or really need, but right. at least there's some cash flow. Bit of a drop in the bucket. Yeah. 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 So, of course, the staff's all laid off now at this point. Yeah. Have they been able to get unemployment so far? Yes. Awesome. Or at least we're starting to see that they've applied and we're getting letters, confirmation letters, things like okay. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, that's happening quickly? It seems to be, yes. Good. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, we've got had a few apply for food stamps as well. Yeah. yeah I've seen, we've seen some of those. Wow. So yeah, it's, that's 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 about the size of it. And as far as I can tell, everybody's pretty much the same boat. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, just looking around, I'm like, man, that's got to be tough just trying to get by on to-go orders. Yeah, I, I think a few places have decided it's not even worth the, the effort. We're, yeah. getting, we're getting enough flow that it's like we're just going to stick with it for a while. But. What are the people mostly getting? Just pizzas and stuff? Or what's... Um, a lot of pizza, a lot of pasta. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Uh, we've, but we've done some of our higher end stuff too, like our lime ragu and our duck. Good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's amazing that you're even offering the whole menu. I guess you have to until you run out of. That that's goods. part of the idea too. Is try and move what we can move. And, you know. Yeah. It goes bad. For sure. Freeze everything we can get get in the freezers. You know. For sure. Yeah. Good. Well, good luck. Remo remove the valuables. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> remove remove a lot of the product that we're not selling. So. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. I hope Thank it, you. You too. I hope you all weather this well. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Yes. Yeah. Well, goodbye. So, word. Yeah. We're. We're thankfully we're sitting a little better than a lot of places. I think. Yeah. So. Good. Strata isn't the only restaurant fighting against the waves of this lockdown. In fact, as we were recording this episode, the county issued a stay-at-home order, forcing even more businesses to shutter. You know, just driving through town, you can kind of see the toll that this is taking on everything. Everything's closed. The things that are not are restaurants just allowing takeout. They have little booths set up at their front door. Um, but the, the most disconcerting part is as you just look at all this stuff and realize that everyone's income is cut in half or worse, there's, there's a ripple effect going on. And it's not just a restaurant losing money. It's the advertising that they pay to local newspapers. It's not just a band being canceled. It's that venue not being able to support a local radio station. It's all of that money is just cinched up and now everyone's just sitting on their nests. That's that's crippling for an entire community. For for all of that money to stop changing hands, it's it really censures the media. It censures everything that can happen in your in your community. And I think we're just starting to see that take effect. This week, the Asheville Alt Weekly Mountain Express announced that they laid off seven staffers, including longtime veterans like A&E editor Allie Marshall, who'd been with the paper for over 17 years. 
It's not a secret that print papers have been struggling for decades, but the calls in the newsroom of nearly every local news agency become particularly more alarming in light of recent events. In the middle of emergencies like this one, we need them now more than ever. I talked with Mountain Express managing editor Virginia Daffron and development coordinator Laura Hackett yesterday about everything, just as news of the shelter-in-place order was hitting the news wire. Oh, and full disclosure, I wrote for Mountain Express for seven years. Yeah, I guess I guess the way we should start, since this is going to air tomorrow from when we are recording it now, is uh, if you guys want to start by mainly maybe explaining this shelter-in-place order that just went out. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Laura might be good to do that. She was just posting it. You literally just posted it, right? <laughs> yeah, I literally did post it, and then I delegated it to Abel to finish posting. But... <laughs> right. Um, I, I was on another uh, Zoom meeting uh, with Anthony Chang of the Dogwood Health Trust as the order came out. So uh, I was coming straight from there to here. So I haven't had a chance to review it in great detail, but I understand folks have to stay in place uh, unless they work in an essential business. However, the list yeah. of essential business functions is long. Right. Um, you can go outside, but only from six feet away to exercise or grow anything like that yeah it's discouraging any kind of travel that is non-essential or critical um still going to the store is fine mm-hmm. um, stores stay open going to work at an essential function is fine we are an essential service that was in the document that's right <laughs> <laughs> we're allowed to work that's good that's good and have things been open still at express like working from the office over there with you guys or well, we can do a lot remotely. We can't do everything remotely. So we have some folks who are working from home. Uh, and even those folks do need to come in at least once or twice a week to perform some of those functions that can only happen here. Yeah. Um, a, a very small handful of folks are working here on a regular basis. Okay. Wow. And uh, yeah, I guess... Um... I was trying to think of the best way maybe to to tell the story of what's happened at Express. And I wonder if you guys could maybe just like trace how y'all documented this virus becoming an epidemic in our community and maybe lead that into how it affected Mountain Express itself. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think really... the virus started to impact Mountain Express right as the very first closures were occurring. Uh, and I think our coverage, I, we identified through public meetings um, from the beginning of uh, hearing updates from the County Board of Commissioners and also Asheville City Council and included that in our reporting on those bodies, but I think it was really when we started to hear some uh, cancellation requirements and, um, you know, an increase in all the efforts to flatten the curve that it really became a major topic of our coverage. And then at the same time, we saw uh, certainly of course, as just as you would expect, if events are not able to take place, if 
restaurants and bars are not able to provide dine-in service. And obviously those businesses don't have funds available for advertising that they had committed to and planned. Right. Um, so we had to shift our thinking very quickly on all the coverage plans that we may have made going forward for a month or so of the weekly, you know, having written extensively for Express that we plan very far in advance. Yeah. So a lot of that had to shift very quickly. How do you prioritize what to cover and what still gets gets to see the light of day? Right. Well, I committed early on as the first cancellations came in that I didn't want to be seeing things in our paper that had been canceled, um, you know, even right up to the moment that we sent the paper to the printer. So we were creating contingency plans. We were identifying which things might be vulnerable to having to be canceled and identifying new information the most and prioritizing the most important information about the current situation that could be plugged in to replace those things. At the same time, we continue to try to balance, um, you know, our breaking news coverage with all the other things that people love from Mountain Express, um, you know, creative and unusual and innovative and locally focused content. So, we, we haven't become all coronavirus all the time, even right. today. <laughs> right. Well, that, yeah, we all need a little distraction. <laughs> a little bit. Stay focused, but a little bit of distraction is good. <laughs> People are still releasing albums. Yeah. People are, you know, streaming their concerts online. And we're in the process right now of uh, figuring out, you know, the best way to update our calendar online so that we're able to share all of the, you know, inspiring, fun, uh, distracting things happening on the internet and yeah. your video. So definitely trying to uplift and spread the word awesome. on those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think like having a directory of like where people could go to see like the streaming shows would be great because they're happening so much and it's, it's really helping out a lot of bands too that are doing it. I've already talked to several people that have had, that are kind of, that have said they've made more money from those than they've ever made at a single show. I'm like, that's, that's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I wonder if, I mean, so we were scheduled to do this interview, I guess the week that, or the, or the day that you guys had the, that, the, that the whip came down as one might, might say. Oh my! But uh, <laughs> I, I did not hear any whip cracks. No, well, uh, I, I wouldn't say it that way. But yes, that's right. That was on Friday. Yeah. And, um. Well, you know the the economics of it are pretty clear. If one hundred percent of community life basically stops, and we're a, a publication that's supported by advertising that largely revolves around events and happenings and culture and things to do in in Asheville it, we definitely saw half of our revenue drop away immediately so yeah there was and it was clear from the beginning as well that this wasn't likely to be a very short-term interruption right so 
it was just obvious that if we lost half of our revenue, we would need to reduce our, our staffing. And the way we tried to do that was to spread it evenly across the company to include our advertising department, our design department, uh, our IT department, and also the editorial department. Yeah. Um, how many people total did this affect? Seven. Seven. Wow. And everyone who remains at the company has either taken a pay cut, a reduction in hours, or both. Mm. And how many people total are, are left? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I have that number because I'm more focused on the editorial department. Right. Yeah. In the editorial department, we have um, four what is now full-time people and um, our opinion editor, Tracy Rose, has always worked part-time. Yeah. And, um, and then Laura is, is actually sort of in a hybrid department, but she does a lot of work on the editorial side as well. Okay. Okay. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how y'all decide who to let go and who, who to keep. How, how does that get prioritized? What's that process look like for the paper? Yeah, of course, we really can't talk about that. Um, it wouldn't be respectful to, to any of our team members, but it was, a, as you would imagine, just terribly difficult to make those choices. And, and everyone who was laid off, um, you know, they were making huge contributions and they were important to the paper and important to the community. Um, I've been certainly hearing the grief um, that's been expressed online um, about some of the editorial layoffs. Those are the people that people know in the community, but I mean, you know, we have just as much grief about folks we lost in advertising and in our design department. Yeah. So equally critical. For sure. Maybe you should talk a little about how uh, Alt Weekly like this is structured, how it's funded, how this type of thing impacts this type of an impacts it because it is largely it's ad based right 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 over the years advertising revenue hasn't it's gone down because there's lots more choices and people need to advertise in a lot more places 25 years ago you know, we were one of the only gangs in town but that's not the case anymore so we've already been diversifying we have a number of specialty publications um, that we put out, our Eats and Drinks Guide, our Best of WNC Guide, um, the uh, Go Local Guide. So those bring in revenue that has helped support the core newspaper product, as well as advertising revenue. And then we rolled out um, the reader support program to further diversify and um, sustain the news product. I mean, the news product is what we love and what we're committed to. So we were already in a position of working very, very hard to try to find ways to fund that. But then when half of the funding that remained specific to that went away instantly, obviously it just becomes a much bigger uh, challenge to overcome. But uh, our publisher, Jeff Fobes, has been very clear with us. Um, we're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to print the paper. 
and we're going to find a way. You know, like if for for a source like NPR, they at least crowdsource everything, and it's a a, a tested model. And I guess people just aren't used to that with a newspaper, you know. But it's mm-hmm. kind of got to be the new model in a way. I know that's kind of what y'all are trying to set it up, doing a lot of that. And that's that's it's no weirder to me. <laughs> but I understand how that would be a difficult thing to understand because it's always been the free paper you know right and it's a for-profit business that's absolutely true and i think that's something that we have to explain to people yes it's a for-profit business it does not you know it really runs as a break-even operation right Um, very much mission driven so and i don't think people have had a great deal of concern about that they value what we do they want it to continue in the community. They understand the larger context that we're operating in, and they understand that all publications of this sort are um, dealing with those same challenges. And Mountain Express has fared a lot better than many other publications kind of in our general category. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because, you know, you think about there are big cities like New York, for example, or Atlanta and a lot more that I can't think of, but um, they don't have them all weekly at all anymore. Right. And we're such a tiny city comparatively. And I think one of the reasons that we have done amazingly well, despite that small area, is that we are an alt weekly, but we're also positioned as a community newspaper. We're not trying to only be you know, talking to the hippest, coolest, youngest, most alternative audience. We're really focused on the broad community. We distribute in Buncombe County plus eight counties around Buncombe. So we're talking to all those people. And I think that's helped keep us strong. Yeah. What do y'all see as the, the future of news? really just news in general. Cause like, I think that it's changing so drastically in the way that it's being presented in the way that it's being attacked in the way that, that, you know, there's so many elements to the way news itself is evolving. Um, what do we, what, what does that look like for express as it, as it continues to dig for, for, you know, its own spot in this race? Right. You know, one thing, there's not really a silver lining to the situation that we find ourselves in with COVID-19, except probably there is. You know, um, we've had to restructure our whole operation and our whole process in like a week. And we're a weekly newspaper. We don't move the fastest normally. So it's been a huge challenge, but I'm extremely proud of how our team has responded. And I'm also extremely encouraged by it because I think it shows that we've got the flexibility and the creativity and the willingness, you know, when when the road meets the road, we're like, okay, we can take this opportunity to think about some of those issues. Like what does our community really want the most from us? Maybe, maybe they don't want exactly the same kinds of stories that we told 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Maybe folks 
are a little less inclined to read a 2,500 word think piece, which I love to write. Um, but it's not about what I love to write or what, e or even if we all just, yeah. yeah. It's what people need and want. Yeah, I think the overall theme that I'm taking away from this is, and I could be wrong, but I don't think that I am, is that more of a focus towards uh, community power journalism and that's both resource wise like that's why we have this membership program and we have seen that people in our community want to invest in our journalism you know and they want to support us we raised ten thousand dollars in less than a week from just individual um, like i think 140 different donors as well as members um, wow and, but in terms of the stories that we want to tell, what occurs to me is, well, let's ask our community. And that's something that we've always done. We've always, you know, had a, a strong dialogue that we've cultivated through our opinion section, through our letters. Um, but let's make that digital too. So a practice that we've been doing recently is for the, a lot of what's guided our uh, Corona coverage, COVID-19 coverage, is we put out surveys um, online and looked for readers to share what their questions and concerns are, what they would like to be hearing from um, elected officials. And so I think just continuing to make that connection more um, fleshed out in the digital world as well in print, that to me seems like a direction to go in. And we've yeah. seen a lot of reassurance from our community that they want to go there with us. So. Laura really pioneered that with our primary election coverage, where we sourced a lot of the questions that we were posing to candidates, both in our online print guides and also in our um, actual city council primary forum. That was an in-person event. Oh, in the old days of in-person <laughs> events. Um, but we, we let the community's concerns drive those questions. And that was very rewarding and yeah. It's like it's not so important like what do we think the quest right questions are but what does the community want to know yeah yeah um i wonder if also you could speak a little about how like the i mean we've only got two three news outlets really in Asheville at this point we've got wlos we've got citizen times we've got express that are really have enough staff to cover things that have enough staff to like devote to, to coverage. How do you stay on top of it as a much smaller, more independent entity when there are larger corporations buying out your competition? Mm. Well, you didn't say BPR. So oh I yeah, BPR. Sorry. My <laughs> include them in yes. the, the landscape. Um, let's see. I think, there's, there's kind of a twofold answer for me to this. One thing is, while there are a small number of larger competitors, there are also new entrants into the marketplace all of the time, like Carolina Public Press, for example. Mm -hmm. um, not that their focus is local, but they do have some Western North Carolina specific focus. And um, yeah, just other entities. So the new one in Black Mountain, right? The, oh, right, the Valley, Valley Echo. Echo. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, we all are waiting to kind of see what the future holds for the Asheville Citizen Times. And um, you know, it's no secret that their parent company 
has shrunk dramatically and indications make it seem that um, that could continue. So we want to stay here and stay strong so that I feel that the only way our community can really control its news destiny is through locally owned uh, news providers. Uh, you know, corporations elsewhere will make decisions about, as they should, what's good for that corporation, but it's not going to be based on what's good for this community. Right. So the only way we can directly ensure that we have access to reliable local news and information is to support our local news providers. And people have done that. And I think they'll increasingly understand the importance of that. We've had a huge um, leap forward in this crisis where the community has said, yeah, gee, you really could just go out of business in a matter of weeks and we don't want to see that happen. So that's a huge boost to us both financially and from, you know, the standpoint of bolstering our commitment and our resolution to keep this thing going. Um, but another piece of it to me is we do collaborate with other entities or we have strong relationships with BPR, um, with our colleagues at the Citizen Times. Um, WLOS is a little bit in a different format. Um, right. And, and then Carolina Public Press. So we're actively always looking at where are the gaps, where are the holes in coverage. It doesn't make sense if you've got fewer and fewer reporters for all of the reporters to go cover this one meeting while five meetings no one covers. So um, we have core commitments in city and county government coverage, which we're going to maintain no matter what other people do, but also we're trying to balance other efforts and not duplicate them. Yeah, just find find a niche <laughs> that isn't being covered. Yeah. Yeah, it was I, I remember like back when court reporters just kind of stopped being a thing in small right. papers because like you just can't afford the people. And now it's like, you know, you have to know where to trim and what's the essential coverage and what isn't. And then also to see who's got what so that you can provide the thing they don't have. Yeah. 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 Um, I wonder if you could paint what a picture of what the city would look like without something like Mountain Express around. I don't like to think about that, John. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> there would be so many fewer purple boxes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's profound, of course. And I think that a lot of our sense of ourselves as a city has been shaped by the narratives that have been shared through Mountain Express. Um, just the idea of this as a funky and uh, creative and a generative community. I, I honestly do think that having Mountain Express here both reflected that and also fostered it and, and brought it into being in part. So, so it would be a really different place. And also, you know, people ask us all the time, well, when are you going to stop being an imprint newspaper? And you know what? That would be a totally totally different kind of a publishing operation. If we were a website only, then so many things would change about what we do and why we do it. Um, keeping that focus on perspectives that make sense for people in outlying areas 
they probably wouldn't go to our website. So that would diminish. And then how would we be different? How would we be unique? How would we be authoritative compared to other online only outlets? So um, huh. print is really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you could go into that a little deeper too on like what, what does make the difference between a digital and a print publication? Because that's a difference in funding structures too. That's a difference in everything about about how a paper runs. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it it changes what you cover. It changes the cost to create the information. I mean, one thing people sometimes don't seem to understand is all the information that gets shared online by Facebook or whatever that had to be created by somebody. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, Print advertising remains a much better generator of revenue than online advertising. And that's why um, you still see, even though it has taken such a hit, you still see print publications producing um, the majority of the most authoritative and dependable information in whatever area or community there might be. So, I mean, Gosh, there's so many aspects to it, but yeah, I think about from an accessibility perspective too, for somebody who just is around town and they don't even, maybe they don't know, maybe they're visiting or maybe they're new or like, that's something that people always say, right? Like, oh, you're new town, go pick up a Mountain Express. And I feel like that physical, just being able to physically pick it up yeah. across the course, like there's this tactile connection. And it also, I think, lends to a more focused type of reading. I don't know, when I'm on the internet reading articles, it's very easy to just kind of like stay in my silo or mm -hmm. read one thing and then get distracted by text in cool ways. So I feel like it's a more full, rewarding reading, more tactile reading experience. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's more curated. It's like when you're on the internet and you're clicking around, you read one, one story from this source, one story from that source, then, oh, I need to check Instagram. So as you say it's like a full representation of the community in one one package. physical object yeah one package this week this is what you need to know about our community yeah i guess we should shift focus back to to this coronavirus and things what do we need to know moving oh, forward right yes. now on uh on how the city's approaching this how how things are are going and what's happening in Buncombe about this yeah, well, I think we'd have to say the county is taking the lead on the approach, and that's kind of due to how city and county government have different areas of responsibility, and the county is responsible for health. Mm -hmm. So they're really the lead. Um, uh, I think they're certainly, the evidence seems to suggest that they are trying to work very collaboratively with other entities and organizations in the community, like, you know, very diverse ones, like the Dogwood Health Trust, like the Chamber of Commerce, like the Buncombe County Tourism Development Authority. Uh, I do believe that there is a governmental effort to be inclusive in the decision-making process in order to make better decisions for the people of Buncombe County. Um, we've got the stay in place order. I was just on this call, as I mentioned, with Dogwood Health Trust 
CEO, Anthony Chang, and he was stressing that we're 10 days behind Italy um, in the United States. And maybe here in Western North Carolina, we might be more like three weeks behind Italy. And we have a slight uh, timing advantage over um, major metropolitan areas like New York City and California and Florida. And he was stressing the need to take advantage of that uh, that margin. Margin, right. Make good use of that time. Um, there's going to be a tipping point at which the, the flatten the curve is no longer as helpful a strategy, but now is the time for the flatten the curve to really be the emphasis. Um, once we get past a certain number of cases, all the resources are going to need to go into mitigating the impact. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for taking so much time to talk to me. And uh, and please keep up what y'all are doing. Is there anything I, I neglected to ask or was too ignorant to know to ask or anything There's like that? I think that I think is fun to share, particularly because I'm, uh, you know, uh, I know you... You hang a lot, hang out a lot, and talk with uh, folks in the restaurant food industry. Uh, so, as a way, you know, people are social distancing right now, unless as much as possible. Unless you're essential service, you're staying at home. So, we're trying to figure out ways to get people their Mountain Express still. And uh, one solution that we came up with is this Papers to Go initiative. So, we are working with. Um, we're just starting off now with a few select restaurants, but any business or restaurant who's interested is welcome to get involved. Um, we will give them Mountain Express papers. And then when folks order, whether it's groceries or um, like coffee, I know there's like coffee subscriptions and clothes subscriptions, all these different things that are delivered. They can bring, we can bring papers to them and they can be dropped off with the order. So. Oh, awesome. We'll put that out there if anybody's interested. Nice. To meet our Cindy Foods. <laughs> right. And if people are having any difficulty finding their weekly copy because you know the place that they usually get it is closed they can definitely call us or send us a message on facebook and we can help them find i mean grocery stores have them so yes yeah. that's a great place to find them but we definitely want to keep them out in the community and i just read a national study that, that said um there are no confirmed cases of transmission of coronavirus by a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That's that's good to know. So you won't catch it from from a Mountain Express. We we there hope. You go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time, and y'all y'all stay safe. And uh, nice to know. talk to you. Nice talking with you. Likewise. Thanks again. <laughs> that was Mountain Express managing editor Virginia Daffrin and development coordinator Laura Hackett. For more information on how you can support the Mountain Express, head to mountainx.com. And just a word, if I might, about all of this. I know all of this seems really, really scary, and in a lot of ways it seems like a self-inflicted wound because we're closing our own businesses. But it's a matter of public safety. It's a matter of taking care of your neighbor. I was driving by a bar the other night before the order went out to close all bars and restaurants, and I, I just drove by thinking, man, I am glad I am not the manager of that place. Because the last thing I would want on my conscience is that I provided the facility for someone to get a disease or an illness that killed them. 
I think now is the time to really take care of the people that you love and your neighbors and your friends. And the best way to do that is by isolating yourself from them. And that's really hard and that's really difficult. And it's gonna cost us all a lot of money and a lot of time. And in some cases, our livelihoods. But it's the difference between our friends being alive or not. Home Fried is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record the interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, handles our website and marketing, and generally keeps the fires burning around here. For full episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, head to our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. There you can read stories, check out the artwork, and listen to more bonus content. You can also support us through our Patreon there. If you like what you're hearing, please, please, please send something our way. We pay for this show out of pocket. Look for new episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday during this lockdown, with occasional episodes on Saturdays, always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume right here on the Dirty Spoon.